Let's pray and then we'll get started with today's lesson. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for the opportunity to come together. Lord, thank you for the beautiful worship that we've already heard during the practice, Lord. And we just thank you, Father God, for the Spirit of God that is so sweet in this place. We thank you, Lord, for the presence of God. We thank you, God, for just the ability to honor you, to lift your praises high, to enter into your presence, Lord. Oh, God, we do pray and cry that you will take us in this morning as they were singing earlier. Take us in, Lord, to that sweet, sweet presence of God, that secret place with you, Lord, where we can behold you face to face. Oh, God, minister to us, Lord, this morning. And may you be ministered to. May you be praised. May you be lifted high. May our praise and our worship be a sweet incense before you, Lord, this day. I pray for that, Father. I pray for the anointing of the Lord upon everyone who teaches this morning, every class. I pray for the anointing, Father, upon those who lead in, in worship and in the service. Pray for the anointing, Father, over Pastor as he delivers the word you've put in his heart. God, we just pray that you be lifted high, that your people will be fed, and your heart will be delivered to the people this day. And so, Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. May you receive all of the glory and the praise. And we welcome you in this place, Father. Have your way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, we've been looking at various names and, and of God to know our God better, to get to know him. And, and so last week we talked about the Ancient of Days and how he's the keeper of our time and uh, how sweet that is to us. And this morning I was actually going in a different direction and, and the Lord just poured this into me this week, so I want to deliver it to you. It's the title or it's the name of God. It's the title for him as Adonai or the Lord. And so I want to look at that today and I want us to understand a few things about the Lord, Adonai. I want to make a little bit of a distinction here for just a moment because Jews today and have for centuries called the name of Yahweh, they will not pronounce Yahweh. They won't speak it. It's, it's one that they revere so much. And so in place of that, they use this name Adonai. And so sometimes you have to differentiate between whether they are calling Adonai as Yahweh or Jehovah or whether it is the actual name. But there is an actual Hebrew title for God, a Hebrew name for God as Adonai. This is the one we're going to talk about today. And the easiest way I can tell you to distinguish those when you're reading in Scripture is that Yahweh is usually spelled in our Bibles with all capitals, L-O-R-D. And Adonai is usually spelled only with capital L, and the other letters are lowercase. That's the easiest way to distinguish the two when you're reading in Scripture as to which one is actually the Hebrew word in that particular verse. The word Adon or Adonai literally means Lord, ruler, controller, sovereign. It's talking about the one who rules or controls, the sovereign God can be also thought of as a judge in the sense of a judge being a decider, the one who decides cases, who determines things. He's a decision maker. The Jewish understanding of a judge can be looked at as one who restores life. A judge was thought of one that would be the, the ability to, to seek in his decisions to restore life. 
It is the one who controls, decides, and rules, or the one who is sovereign. The very first place we see Adonai used in Scripture is in Genesis 15.2. And I found it interesting in these early parts in Genesis and in, in when Moses prayed and so forth, that they would address God as Adonai. And it, it's interesting because then when he would respond, he would respond with Yahweh or Jehovah. And, and I, I feel like there's a little bit of a distinction there because Yahweh or Jehovah refers to his covenant. He was responding in an answer to prayer as our covenant God, as their covenant God. Even though when they approached him, they would use Adonai as my Lord, my ruler, my master. So there was a, a little bit, to me, of a tenderness there in the way they addressed him versus the way he responded in his, in his answers. But I want to read this in Genesis 15. A few verses in Genesis 15, and then we're going over to Genesis 18. The context here is that Abram has had an encounter with this God, the living God, and God has made him a promise. He told him, come out from your people, and I will make of you a great nation, a multitude. You'll have a multitude of descendants as the sands of the sea. And then in Genesis 13, he inherited the land that God had promised him. In Genesis 14, he met Melchizedek, and he received promised blessing from God through that encounter. Now in Genesis 15, Abram, in this place, only has the word of promise. But he's still childless at this point. And so I want to read verses 1 through 20 if we have time to go that far. There's a lot of places I'd like to go to today, so I may have to cut some of this short. But in Genesis 15, 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, or Adonai God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord of Yahweh came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. And Abram believed, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. I'll go ahead and stop right there. This is actually the first recorded prayer of someone to God in Scripture. We have several throughout the Scriptures. We have Moses' recorded prayers. We have um, David's. We have several recorded in Scripture. But this is the very first one that is found in Scripture. And Abram is appealing to the Lord, the controller, the sovereign one. And his faith, when he appeals to God and God answers... He receives that answer and receives it by faith. And that faith is counted to him for righteousness. And I want to I just point out a side note here about this. True salvation has always in Scripture been by faith. It's never been by the law. Never been by the law. The law can't do it. 
And the whole purpose of God giving the law, Paul tells us, is that it was a schoolmaster to draw us to Christ, to prove to us that keeping the law didn't work and we could not earn our salvation and we could not be saved. It has always been by faith and Abram is that example even before the law was ever given. He believed God and because of that faith, he was saved. It was counted to him for righteousness. So here we see Abram's having an understanding of the sovereign ruler. He appeals to God who had promised him seed. He approaches the one who was the keeper of those promises. And he received that covenantal answer and God promised him this seed. We see it next in Genesis 18. And in here, in the very first part, it says, beginning in verse 1, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, Adonai, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought, wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts and that you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. Then they said, Do as you have said. So Abram hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abram, Abraham ran to the, land, to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in years, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And I'll stop right there. So here, the promise is repeated again from Adonai the Lord. Notice his appeal was to Adonai. God's response was coming back from Yahweh, the covenant God. And he reminded him that he was also El Shaddai, the God of miracles, the God that nothing is beyond his power to do. So we see here that the Lord, the controller, comes down and he meets with Abram and he tells him, yes, you will have this son. Sarah will bear the son I promised you. And then God says, as the ruler, that this will be done. The next time we see it in Scripture, actually, is from a man named Abimelech, who was a king of Gerar. And I noticed this is interesting because he was a foreigner. He wasn't a Jew. And yet he approached the Lord as the sovereign ruler when he prayed to Adonai, appealing for his own life. In Deuteronomy 3.26 Moses appeals to Adonai about entering the promised land. God has told him he can't go in because of his sin when he struck the rock the second time and he wasn't supposed to. 
And so Moses was kept out of the land for that. But basically here, he's basically appealing to the sovereign Lord and asking him, God, would you mind changing your mind? Please let me enter the land. And of course, God's answer was no. The purpose and the problem with Moses entering the land was this. We're told in Deuteronomy 32, 51, that the reason he couldn't enter the land is because when he struck the rock the second time, he dishonored God in the sight of the people. He had a place of responsibility and a place of influence. And because he did not reverence and honor God in the sight of the people, he was withheld from going into the land. And so Moses, in that moment when he struck the rock, when he was commanded to speak to it, he did not submit to the lordship of God, and he did not honor God. And so he was kept out of the land. He's still a saint of God. Praise be to God. He's in heaven. Well, that's proven in Matthew 17 because he was one of the two that stood with Jesus on each side when he appeared in his Mount of Transfiguration glory. There were several others that would appeal. I want to look at one more in the Old Testament, and it's King David. And it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I want to kind of go through this because David's prayer of thanksgiving to God is recorded for us here as he approaches Adonai, the Lord. And in, in 2 Samuel 7, the first part of that chapter is when God makes a covenant with David and with his seed forever that they will have the kingdom and they will be established on the throne. And King David begins in verse 18, and he says this, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, Adonai, God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, and you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of men, of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Adonai, God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that, you have, that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people to make for himself a name and to do for yourselves great and awesome deeds for your land before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their God. For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God so he goes on in his prayer of thanksgiving, and he is offering thanksgiving and appeal to God for the covenant that God has given him. He acknowledges here God's lordship, and he submits and appeals to God's lordship. He desires sincere blessing from the sovereign Lord. We see this word also several places throughout the Psalms, and I'm just going to mention them. In Psalm 2, 4, as the sovereign Lord, God laughs in heaven at the feudal nations trying to rage against him. Remember the Tower of Babel, they tried to rage against the Lord. And, and he came down and he divided them and divided their languages, proving his lordship even there. In Psalm 16, 2, David acknowledges that God is his Lord and master. 
Psalm 35, 23, he appeals to the righteous ruler to judge and plead his case and render righteous judgment on his behalf. In Psalm 40, 17, David acknowledges that the great sovereign ruler and master still has time and a desire to come down and think about little old me. That's beautiful. When you think about Adonai, he is the one in the heavens ruling everything, ruling over everyone, and yet he has time for you and for you and for me. And he cares enough to think about you and you and me. Hallelujah. How powerful is that? That the Lord, the sovereign controller of everything, cares about you and I. That's beautiful. In Psalm 66, 18, he says, If we regard iniquity in our hearts, Adonai will not hear us. So we have to be clean and submitted to his lordship in order to have a relationship with our God. Psalm 68, 11, Adonai gave the word. This shows that his sovereign, the sovereign controller's word is delivered with authority. Remember what they said about Jesus? Never has a man spoke like this man. Because he speaks with what? Authority. The centurion came to him and said, please don't come to my house. I'm not worthy. Only speak a word. Because your word that is delivered from your mouth, you are the Lord and it carries authority. I only need that powerful authoritative word that you deliver to me. And that will be enough because it will do its job. Hallelujah. In the New Testament, we come to the New Testament in the Greek and we see the word kurios. It means the same thing. Supreme in authority. Master. It's a title of respect in honor and recognition of supreme authority. God's sovereignty is in place here. I found it interesting that one of the resources listed it this way. Mr. Or sir. Sir. It's interesting. It, it depicts for us his authority. Depicts for us that title of respect that he is to be honored and obeyed. Thayer says this. It, it refers to he to whom a person or thing belongs. Talking about, about which he has power of deciding. We belong to God, and he has the power to decide all matters concerning us. We talked last week about God being the ancient of days, the keeper of our time. This week, we see him as Lord or the master of our time, the master of our destiny, the possessor of our moments and our days, the one who owns us, the one to whom we belong. If we're married, we tend to wear these things here, right? Wedding rings. Why? Because they signify a joining. They signify a belonging one to another. Same kind of idea. We belong to Christ. We are his betrothed bride. Hallelujah. It reminds me, several aspects brought out in the New Testament. First of all, Paul tells us that we are bought with a price. In 1 Corinthians 6, 
verses 19 and 20, we read that. And it says this, Paul is writing and he says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God's. So even in that, he says, submit to God's lordship and bring him glory, both in your body and in your spirit, because they both belong to God. They're not our own. In 1 Peter 1 and 19, we are told what we are bought with, and we know this. It says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I want to just point out one thing real quick here in regard to this being bought with a price. When, when a Jewish bride, I mean, when a Jewish man would choose a bride to marry in the ancient days, in their ancient tradition, he would pay a bride price for her. And what it meant, what it signified was it, it wasn't to buy her to use as some property or to abuse. What it meant was that he chose her and he was willing to pay that high a price for her because he valued her that much. It signified the amount of worth and value that she had to him. So when we read in the scriptures that we are the bride of Christ and we read about how we are bought with a price and that price is the precious blood of Christ, he put enough value on you to shed his blood as payment to have you. That's how much he values you. That's how much you are worth. Don't let the devil tell you, you ain't worth nothing. Don't listen to his lies. Jesus came from heaven and decided you were worth the payment of his own blood on the cross of Calvary because he values you that much. So we are bought with a price. And with that, we belong to him. We belong to the Lord. And so we need to be offered to him and under his control. We need to have no secret places in our hearts and in our lives. I remember um, several years ago when, when I first got married, there was a group, they did a lot of songs about family things. They were all family oriented for husbands and wives and for children and relationships within the home and those kinds of things. Their name was Steve and Annie Chapman. I don't know if some of you may remember them. But they had a song called The Secret Place. And it was a beautiful song. It was all about, about a place in our heart that we keep closed off to the Lord. It's a secret place. We don't, we, God, you can be in every other room of our house, but not that one. There's too much in there. There's too much I want to keep hidden in there. There's too much I'm ashamed of in that room. Whatever it may be. And so you close off that place to the Lord. And in that song, it was beautiful because they were saying how much he, he, he longed and with loving eyes would look at that person longing to go into that room for one reason, 
because he took it and made it clean. He cleaned that room so there was no more shame. There was nothing more to hide from. There was nothing of that. It was under his lordship now, and he could go freely in the house, and you could enjoy him being in fellowship with you in every room of your life. And that's what this is talking about, having no secret places because he wants all of them under his lordship. He wants all of you. He died and bought you to have all of you submitted to his lordship. And he will clean those places. He will make them new. He will make them beautiful in his sight. He will make them his. So have no secret places that we hide from him. He wants you to open them up to him. We also need to understand as his lordship, he is the one that controls our destiny. He sets our agenda. In Proverbs 27.1, Solomon tells us, don't boast about tomorrow because we don't know what a day will bring forth. And then in James 4, he must have been reading Proverbs because he writes here in James 4, Verses 13 through 16, he says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. See, here we're talking about being submitted again to his lordship. Every day and every moment of every day. I had an example, and I prayed about whether to even share this, and I said, Lord, if you want me to share it, you bring it back to me when I'm doing the message, so I'm going to share it. had an example the other day. I just went to Kroger to get some, some groceries or something from there. Came out, and there was this elderly man, and he was trying to push his groceries on a little walker and stuff, and and, uh, and he was lost. He, he didn't remember where his truck was. He couldn't find his truck, and he couldn't see anything, you know. And, um, and so the Lord just put it on my heart to try to help the man. And so, you know, I mean, I didn't know that. I didn't know I was going to encounter this man that needed help. I was just going to get some groceries. And, um, you know, so, so I talked to the man, and I asked him, could I help him? And he says, oh, no, I'll be all right. You go on, you know. So I started to pull away, and the Lord wouldn't let me do that, of course. And uh, so, you know, so I whipped back around, and, and he's still, you know, trying to push his little walker and look for his truck and all that. So I said, I asked him about it, and I said, well, sir, I want to help you. You know, I want to help you find your truck. I can't leave here, you know, um, without helping you. I said, you know, I need to, need to do that. And so I asked him, I said, what kind of truck is it and all this? You know, and he told me the color and told me all this stuff about it. And so I just kind of drove up one or two of the aisles, you know, and, and the lanes there, and I found it. You know, I found what I thought was it. And uh, so I whipped back around and found him, and I said, you know, I think I found it for you, you know, and told him where it was. And, we, you know, I drove real slow while he walked beside me, you know, up there. And he said, yes, ma'am, this is it. And so we got to talking, and he was a Christian, and we talked a little bit about the Lord and all that stuff, and he appreciated it and all that. Now, that was something, that was something small, tiny, and I don't say it to put myself up. I simply say it to, to give it as an example of little things where God might drop something into your day that you had not planned on but that might be an opportunity to minister to somebody I couldn't leave that gentleman in the heat it was 90 something degrees that day I think I couldn't leave him in the heat wandering around in Kroger parking lot 
pushing that little walker with his groceries in it, trying to find it, you know. I, I couldn't do that, and the Spirit of God didn't want me to do that. And um, so that's what I'm talking about, letting the Lord be in control of every part of our day, and sometimes he'll, he'll surprise us with something like that that we hadn't planned on just in the course of our day. And the question is, is he Lord of our life or not? Will we be able to be sensitive to the Spirit of God when he interrupts things that we had planned in our agenda to have his agenda come to bear? And so that's just one little example about that. We're not to boast about tomorrow, but rather we choose his will to be done. Jesus is a perfect example of that in Gethsemane. He submitted to the lordship of his father even though he was praying, Father, if it's possible at all, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, what? Thy will. You are Lord. You are Adonai. I submit to your lordship and I submit to your will. Paul said, I die daily. Did he not? I die daily. I'm mortifying my flesh. I'm dying to what I want to do. And I'm submitting to what you have for this day, Lord. You set the agenda. We talked about the Ancient of Days as the keeper of our times. Today we're talking about Adonai as the Lord or the master of our time. The one who sets our agenda. In the New Testament, we see Jesus as Adonai, our Lord. And it's confirmed by all of the apostles. And I specifically want to end with these last two quick scriptures. One is in uh, Acts chapter 2, and we know in Acts chapter 2 that it's the day of Pentecost, and Peter has preached this powerful sermon. And then in verse 36, Peter ends up this sermon. He sums it up, and he says this, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is Christ Jesus. Yes, he is the Messiah, Yeshua. But he is also Adonai, the Lord, the Lord, the master, the ruler, the controller. I thought about this. Some of you may have been in the military. I never have, but some of you may have been. And in the military, you, you have a sir. <laughs> Do you not? You have a commander. You have somebody who sets the course. And when he gives an order, you don't refuse it. You don't reject it. You don't question it. You don't challenge it. It's yes, sir. Or no, sir, if the answer is supposed to be no, sir. The orders are obeyed strictly. I think part of the problem today with some of the gospel and some of the evangelism is that we tend to ignore Christ's lordship. We tend to ignore his lordship. And we make people think that they can come to Jesus just as they are and stay that way. And that he accepts everybody and understands everything and it's just okay. You can live however you want to. And that's not the truth of the gospel. He is both Lord and Christ. He is Messiah, he is our Savior, he is Yeshua, but he is also our Lord. He is the one who is to control us. And scripture proves that. It also proves to us that he's not an abusive Lord. 
We don't submit to him. He's not over there punishing us every minute. He's not over there challenging us or hurting us or abusing us in any way. He is a loving Lord. He is a good Lord. He is a patient Lord. He comes to free us. He comes to deliver us from bondage. He comes to draw us into a love relationship with him. And so if we have any question about what kind of Lord he is, all we have to do, we got four books in the Bible that tell us. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read them. Read them. They'll show you the kind of Lord that Yeshua, Messiah, is to his people. They will show you how he went around and he was patient with foolishness and impetuousness of his disciples. They'll show you how he was loving to everyone, how he was kind. He would even stop for God's interruptions of his day. And he would minister and do whatever the need was. He would, they will show you about his understanding and patience with their little faith and how he longed to see it grow. So we understand his lordship from the reading of scripture. And we are to be under his lordship. Even in the Old Testament, there was a burnt offering that was in Leviticus 1. And the burnt offering, the purpose of it, was it was an offering of total surrender to God. The entire animal, every part of that animal, had to be burnt on that altar. Every part. And that's what it's talking about. It's talking about a life of total surrender to God, of the entire person. Jesus is its fulfillment in the New Testament. He surrendered his entire being to God on the cross. And we as Christians are to follow his example. So we are to submit every part of us. I was thinking about this some this week because I've actually been praying some of these things lately. Some of these are harder for us than others. But I was thinking, we're, we're supposed to submit our entire soul, spirit, and body to the Lord and to his lordship. The soul would encompass our will, our choices. Sometimes we have to choose to do the right thing Because it's the right thing to do. It may not be what we want to do. It may not be what we desire or what we would choose. But it's what God wants us to do. And so sometimes we have to make a choice of our will. I wrote an article this week that I'll be posting here shortly about gut level obedience. Sometimes the choices that we have to make in submission to the Lord have nothing at all to do with our emotions, have nothing at all to do with what we want. They are pure gut-level obedience offered to God and submitted to his lordship. And sometimes that's the choice that we must make to do the right thing and to honor him as lord of our life. Speaks of our mind, our thoughts and our meditations, the renewing of our minds with the word of God. Romans talks about that, a total renovation, remaking our thoughts and thinking what scripture says to us. Talks about submitting our emotions. This one's not easy sometimes. Submitting our emotions to his lordship. I noticed a Facebook post from one of my friends yesterday, and it said this, talking about how David encouraged himself in the Lord. And the Psalms speak over and over about meditating or talking to yourself. Scripture teaches us that that's a good thing. Sometimes we have to do this. David would say to his soul, soul, why are you downcast? Be lifted up. 
Look at the Lord. So sometimes we have to take responsibility for our own emotions and our own attitudes. Talks about being submitted in our spirit to him, not allowing ourselves to be offended when we are wronged, not having a broken spirit, maybe from disappointments, but recognizing that sometimes what we see as disappointments is God's choosing of a better way for us and something that's better down the road. Also in guarding of our hearts and our spirits, what we take in, what we take in through movies and music and those other things affects our spirituality, affects our, affects our emotions, affects our attitudes, affects our thoughts and our bodies. We must remember to submit our bodies. We are bought with a price that affects us in the areas of cleanliness, health, fitness, dress, modesty. All of those things come into play there. So when we understand Adonai, our Lord, we must recognize his lordship and his mastery over every area of our life. And I want to close with this last scripture that we all know very, very well. And I'm going to read the passage. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus Christ, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those in earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The question is for each person, will you bow now or will you bow later? The choice is which time you choose, not whether you will. It's when you will. We choose to bow now. We choose to accept him as our Lord. Father, bless the reading of your word and the teaching of your word this day. And I pray that you will feed us, Father, and you will help us to be surrendered to your lordship at all times and to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading when we may see things as interruptions to not miss them when it's the Holy Spirit directing us to do something for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name for your glory and for your praise. Amen.